Good morning, my name is Dave, and uh, I am one of the pastors here. Um, I might have to reintroduce myself to some of you. Uh, I've been gone uh, away from preaching the last five weeks, and it's, uh, it's been a great break uh, for my own heart. And in the middle of our church's name is the word community. Uh, community is huge to us, not because it's our idea, but because it's the Bible's idea. And, uh, and, and in about a month, our community groups gear back up in September, uh, and, and we want to share just a little bit. Darren Martin's here to share just a little testimony, some encouragement regarding community. Okay, uh, my name's Darren Martin. My wife is Jennifer. We have four children. Just a little overview, and I've been engaged in community groups for 15 years. It's meant a lot to me. Um, just, uh, and I was thinking about this week, talking about community groups, I had to think about time, okay? We all have time, 24 hours, right? Sometimes we want to make 26, but that can't happen, okay? Um, and I had to think about some words that describe time and how we use our time, and I had to think of four words, T-I-M-E, okay? The investment, meaningful experiences. That's how we rate our time, right? Um, and community groups has been an investment in time for me, and it's really paid off. Um, it's allowed me to get closer to God. It's allowed me to get closer to other people. It's also allowed me to get closer to myself and understanding myself. And uh, I had to think about some examples of time that we have during the day. Um, spelling tests, I had to think about the kids here. Study, 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 right? Study, study, study. No, you're not going to stay. Okay. Study, 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 and you do well, right? Um, I had to also think about uh, archery. We have some hunters out here, some archery. Archery just doesn't happen, right? We have to take time for it, and then we get better at it, and then we have a good shot, okay? I also had to think about fitness. I know there's some fitness people out here. My wife is in fitness. We have to take time for fitness to get in shape, and it's a commitment of time. I had to look out here today. You guys are taking a commitment of time in church to learn more about God. And community groups really is really that extension of church that you get a little deeper, uh, you get closer to people, and you understand us as a group and as a community. So I just encourage you really in the next month, uh, feeling committed uh, with time to community groups because it's been a great thing. Like, like I said, I've been doing it for 15 years. If you want to talk to me about it, uh, we've had great rewards in our family. It's opened up communication, and I think that's the big thing because with communication, we can all understand each other. We've got to understand ourselves, and we've got to understand more about God. So thank you. Thanks, Darren. All right, we are thankful that you're with us in, uh, in what we call the Crosspoint living room. Uh, this morning in a living room, uh, relationships are built, moments are experienced, and community happens. And, and that is our prayer for you today. On September 8th, we celebrate 10 years as a church. And on that day, we're having one big combined big family service, 10 a.m., uh, video testimonies, worship, celebrating the past, anticipating the future, casting vision for what is up ahead. Afterwards, we'll have a big lunch together, pulled pork, praise Jesus, and some games together outside. It's going to be a fun, memorable day as a church, and you'll want to make sure you're a part of it. Approaching the 10-year mark, it's causing me to pause, uh, to kind of take stock, to uh, to take a step back and remember some basics of who we are as a church, the vision that God has called us to, and honestly, how that vision, vision hasn't changed. I remember January 2001. Some of you may not have been born yet sitting in this room. I'm not sure. But when Heather and I felt confirmed that, that the Lord was calling us to start this church in our own hometown to reach people that weren't being reached. And I remember coming home that night and sitting down and typing out what this new church would look like. What would be the heart of this church? What would be the vision? What would be the attitudes and actions of those who came to this church and called it home? And one of the most encouraging things for me 
is to sit here then over 12 years from that moment, almost 10 years from when Sunday services began and realize how the Lord has been working to fulfill that vision that came from Him. Even though the vision might have been worded differently through the years, it's always been about three relationships. The cross-pointers would be about devotion to Jesus, loving Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is the part of the vision we're going to talk about today. And then the cross-pointers would love one another. They would serve one another. They'd be dedicated to one another. They'd live life in community in the body of Christ. And we'll talk about that on August 25th. And finally, that as followers of Jesus, as a church, we'd be driven to reach people. We'd never relent in our desire to take the good news to those around us. This world is in desperate need of of the love and hope found in Christ. And we're called to be ambassadors, carriers of this life changing message. Next week, we'll look at that part of the vision in a very special and unique way. All I'm saying is do not miss next week. Get out of bed. If you're on the podcast listening, get out of bed and get here next week. That's all I'll say. You might see an email about it this week. So I I don't want to just blow through this 10-year mark. I don't want to blow through this moment. I realize that at the end of the day, 10 is just a number. It's just one zero. It's just a number. But it's a number that ultimately tells about the faithfulness of our God, His steadfast work in our lives in this world, His provision for a growing church, the way He provides money and volunteers and buildings and space that as we continue to say yes to Him, He leads us. He takes care of His church. He's a good God that we can trust, not only with our salvation, but with every part of our lives, every aspect of this church, and every year that lies up ahead. So with the 10-year celebration coming up, I wanted to take the four weeks prior to that day and remind us of the vision, remind us of what God has called us to. So today, we, uh, we start a four-week series called Reminders, because I'm clever like that. I just call it Reminders, all right? Uh, just that's all I can come up with. Second Peter one twelve says, "Therefore I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught." Peter the the, the writer goes on then to remind the readers about some truth about the Bible, that the stories in the Bible are not made up by men; they're not concocted over time, but rather the words of the Bible are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit enabled and inspired the writers of these words. All realities, the readers already knew. And Peter was saying, I want to remind you, though. I want to remind you. Even though you're standing firm in the truth, it's good to be reminded. If you're a person here that works or invests into the next generation, you could be a parent, an uncle, an aunt, a grandparent, someone who serves in sun chasers or hype, or an educator in the school system, a coach, some other profession that has interactions with with the next generation, if that's you, do you find yourself giving lots of reminders? Like if you're a parent, uh, before your teenager goes off to drive, you remind them, okay, watch out for the other drivers, stay off your phone, get home on time, obey the speed limit, I don't want to bail you out of anything, all stuff they already know. But you know as a parent, it's just kind of like your God-given job to remind them of these things. Or if you have a toddler or smaller children, it's like the words, share just wait, just wait, be, be patient, love one another. I mean, these, these phrases are echoing in your home or maybe things like wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. Actually use toothpaste when you, use, when, when you brush your teeth. Remember to use soap in the shower and wash everything head to toe, every crack, all right? Just, just wash it all, all right? Take off your muddy shoes. This never happens in my home. I'm just kind of guessing what happens in your home. Uh, or, or pick up your clothes or just these reminders that keep flowing out of our mouth. 
And once again, it's not as if your kids don't already know them or haven't heard them before from you. But as a parent, it's your job to remind them because let's face it, sometimes we need to be reminded. As a basketball coach of of seventh grade boys, I remind my players of a lot of things. Uh, Every game I talk about three things we must do well in order to uh, be successful. We must defend, we must take care of the basketball, and we must rebound. That's your that's your basketball nugget for today. We've got to do those three things. And if we do, we'll be in good shape. I'm sure after 20 games, I sound like a broken record. But without continual reminders, we get off track, we can lose focus, and we can begin to forget. And the same not only holds true for basketball players, but for believers in Jesus. If we don't get before the Lord on a continual basis to hear from Him, look at His Word, we can get off track. We can lose sight of the goal, the vision. And when we lose sight of where we're headed, when we lose sight of the planned destination, you can get off on all sorts of silly rabbit trails and find yourselves in the middle of nowhere. And so if that's a trap that individual believers can fall into, then it means that it's a trap that churches can fall into. Because the church, the body of Christ, is made up of individual believers. It's not the building, it's individual believers. So as a result, churches can get off mission. For example, they can begin to make the mission of the church all about the building and just kind of the worship of the building or the worship of of past, trying to keep anything from ever changing. In other words, the, the idol of history and tradition the idol of, well, we've always done it that way, or the idol of, we don't like change. They wouldn't have a wooden statue sitting outside of, called that idol, but that's the culture that's there. Or the church can get focused only on trying to keep the sheep in the pen happy rather than looking outward and pursuing the lost and being willing to change and join Jesus on his worldwide mission. I I recently heard of a church that held a prayer meeting, and the actual focus of their prayer to almighty loving God was that God would somehow help them not to smell the family that sat in the front of the sanctuary that stunk. I'm just going to let that sit on you for a minute. Sit on me for a minute. Did you catch that? A prayer meeting so they wouldn't smell a family in the church. That's twisted. That's warped. It's a reflective of hearts that have just grown cold, self-centered, haughty, proud. It should anger you. It should be this, that's not right. Now, a story like that should not cause us to go, well, we're better than they are. I mean, they are jacked up, right? But instead, it should cause us to go, Lord, don't ever let that happen to us. Don't ever let us get so proud and haughty that that should happen to us. Break our hearts for those yet to know you because cause us to do whatever it takes to reach those who don't know you. Don't ever let our hearts grow cold to your mission and puffed up with pride and make this just about our own hearts. Help us to love because you first loved us. Don't let us get comfortable. These are not just temptations that other churches experience, but we do as well. And today I want to talk about what I believe is the greatest temptation or trap we face at Crosspoint right now. The thing that could cause our pursuit of mission to slow down, go in reverse, get off center. The trap that ultimately would really lead us to dishonor 
our Lord and hinder our reflection of His glory. The snare that would hurt our testimony to the world around us. And you might be thinking that the trap that I'm going to talk about is false teaching. Like that we'll get off center from the gospel, the core tenets of our faith, and we'll start to teach something contrary to, to Scripture. And while that's a potential trap and talked about all through Scripture, that's not what I'm talking about today. Or maybe you're thinking that our biggest temptation or obstacle that we face in this world is, is the world around us. Like, if we, like, we just better start hunkering down and build ourselves a bomb shelter and go get some bread and water and go get in there for fear of the world. I mean, it doesn't take a long look around to look at the world and see how broken and fractured and fallen, fallen that it is and how much the world is against the things of God. But once again, that's not what I'm talking about today. Until Jesus returns, we will go boldly into the community and the world, engaging the world around us, sharing with others the good news. His great love compels us to go and engage, go and love, not run and hide, not scream and condemn, but go and engage, go and love, go and tell. So what's this snare or trap or temptation that we face? Well, it's it's something I've seen creep up in my own life and faith before. In fact, the Lord brought it to my own heart just a few weeks ago. It's, ah, just, I'm back to preaching and here we go. I'm just kind of back on the potter's wheel and it's go time, I guess. Uh, it, it, the Lord exposed it to my wife, uh, Heather, as well in, in her own heart. And have you ever had that nagging sense, this, this, this quiet, persistent conviction on your heart that your sin nature just kind of keeps rejecting as if your heart is saying, I know, I know, I know, I just don't want to change. I just don't want to give you that. It's a reaction based on our own pride, wanting to elevate our ways higher than his ways. Well, I'm just going to be flat honest with you. That's kind of where I was at. And the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is he just doesn't relent. He just keeps coming, keeps reminding, keeps loving, keeps convicting, keeps guiding he just doesn't stop. He doesn't grow weary in trying to cause us to be more like the Son. And that's one way you know you're a believer in Christ because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and leading you to the truth and sin. And that, that gap between who you are and who Jesus is, that, that gap, it doesn't sit well with you. And praise God that His grace is sufficient and can, to bridge this gap. And I believe it's something that's not just a future temptation for us, but one for, that many of us fall into or have fallen into or this, this kind of the potential of it down the road. And it deals specifically with the area of us being fully devoted to Jesus. Yes, it impacts other areas, but it all starts with obeying that first commandment, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, everything you've got, pure, unadulterated devotion, love, obedience, adoration for Him. And the thing we hit up against that I hit up against in our quest to obey that great commandment. The greatest commandment is our apathy. It has to start in our own hearts. It has to start with you and me. Before we talk about dedicated to one another, or driven to reach people, it has to start with you and me, getting before God, our devotion to Him, before we worry about anything or anyone else. Apathy, meaning a, a lack of interest, concern, enthusiasm. And the exact opposite, really, I would say, is 
of, of apathy is devotion. Some of you are devoted to a sports team. I mean, they could be perennial losers, and I won't name names because I'm trying to restore and reconcile and not alienate. <laughs> I, no, I just, I won't. Um, but so you, you have a t-shirt, you root for them when they come on TV. I mean, you, you were devoted to them because generations before you have led you astray and whatever. Um, or, or you're devoted to a specific band or a TV show. You're devoted fans like that. Oh, we got to DVR that. We got to watch that. Come on, kids, let's go. And Duck Dynasty, some of you are devoted. You're ready to go get a tat or something with Duck Dynasty on your shoulder. Now, when you're devoted, you're loyal, you're committed, you're all in. You're pushing all your chips to the middle of the table. I'm devoted to my wife. I'm loving and tender to my wife. At least I try to be by the grace of God. I adore my wife. I'm devoted to my children. Now, not only am I faithful to them, but I just love them with as much as possible in the six-foot-four frame. I just, I just love my kids. But the opposite of devotion, antonyms of that word would be things like distant, indifferent, maybe hard-hearted, disaffected. It sounds a lot like apathy, doesn't it? Our, our apathy is in contrast to our devotion. When you're apathetic, you're, you're indifferent to what's going on. If you're a coach, if you're a coach, the last thing you want is your team to be apathetic. Just kind of ho-hum, well, it's okay, you know, shrugging their shoulders, oh, well, I thought that was good enough. I mean, well, come on, we're just, we're just trying to shoot for mediocre, come on. No, 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 you're like, we like to win, we like to excel, we like to get better, we like to make progress. I mean, let's play with some passion, some, some energy, some devotion. So what's the Bible say about apathy? If you've got a Bible on your lap, go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, um, I encourage you to... Uh, get one at Guest Connections before you walk out and let that be our gift to you. Some context on 2 Timothy. Uh, Timothy's young pastor who's in his early 30s and the Apostle Paul is, is writing this letter to him while Paul's in prison and, and Paul's awaiting execution at this time. And for the past 15 years, Paul has, uh, had served as a mentor to Timothy, but they were close friends as well. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy challenging him in various areas of his life. In a sense, Paul saw that, that Timothy was falling or, or could fall victim to some of these traps or snares of the enemy, and he wanted Timothy to be firm in the foundation of his faith. John 10.10 10 tells us on the front end of that verse, tells us the enemy's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's very succinct, very memorable. He went to all the corporate classes. He, he's got his mission statement done. It's three words, steal, kill, destroy. And Jesus also tells us in, in John 8.44, that the devil's native language is lies. Like that's all he speaks, lies. He's batting a thousand on every word coming out of his mouth as a lie. So knowing that truth, think about the contrast of apathy and devotion to Jesus from the devil's perspective. He would want nothing else but for us to be apathetic in our walk, in our devotion to Jesus. He'd love for us to be complacent in our love for Jesus because then we wouldn't grow in our faith. We'd hit a trial. We'd hit, a, hit difficulty. Instead of leaning into Christ, we'd just roll over. Or we would become indifferent to our faith. We'd pick it up 
when we're in crisis or we hit rock bottom or we pick it up on a Sunday, but then we drop it in the midst of the week or when things are going well or it's a sunny sky out. Uh, we'd become bored in our faith. Uh, we'd allow our faith to become dry and, and just say, well, I, I kind of shrug our shoulders. Well, I guess, I guess that's the way it must be. Or we'd settle for a faith that doesn't truly change anything in our lives or doesn't bring us any joy or delight. When the Bible charges us to wage war on our sin, we wouldn't. We would snuggle up to it instead. When the Bible says, put on the full armor of God, we'd we'd put on one or two and go, eh, that's good enough. Can you relate to any of this? So with that, let's go 2 Timothy and see what God's Word has to say about this tendency in our lives, in my life, to be apathetic in our love and our devotion to Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's referring back to the start of this letter. In chapter 1, Paul challenged Timothy not to be ashamed or fearful. He's saying, therefore, because of that, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Don't be fearful. He's telling Timothy, life is hard. That's not earth-shattering news to a young pastor named Timothy. He knew that. It's not earth-shattering news to you or I, is it? That life is hard. But as, that, as a result of knowing life is not always easy, he's saying, you then must be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, be strong in yourself. It's within you. He doesn't say any of that. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is undeserved love, undeserved love. Now, some of you, you might hear that phrase, undeserved love this morning, and that's a completely foreign concept to you. For you, love has always been about performance. It's always been about uh, you, you only received love when you gave love. But when you showed it, that's when you got it back. But the beauty of Jesus and the gospel is that in Jesus we received love when we didn't earn it, when we didn't deserve it, when we didn't merit anything to obtain that love. And that love is continually lavished on us as adopted children of God. Here we are shown that ultimately grace comes from Jesus Christ. It's found in Him uh, there are days, there are days that I feel completely in over my head. I'm just going to keep it real with you, all right? There's like so much to work on, so much to pray about, so much to think about. But on those days, I'm reminded of, of God's Word promising that His grace is sufficient for you and me. Because many of you, most of you can relate to this as well. The to-do list just kind of keeps growing no matter what your age is or what you do for a vocation or not do for a vocation. Being reminded that His grace is sufficient for you and me. His power is made perfect in weakness, 2 Corinthians 12. So I have to keep telling myself the truth. that No, no, Dave, Dave, this is not about you. This is not on you. That burden is not upon your shoulders. This is on Jesus, whose grace is sufficient, His strength unfailing, His love never ending, His grace is unending. So then I can take joy and peace in that truth. My joy is not found in what I accomplished or what I got done that day. My joy is found because I'm a son of the living God. And my identity 
doesn't change no matter how I blow it on my to-do list. My identity as a co-heir with Christ doesn't change because I blew it that day in, in my sin. My great, His grace covers that. His grace is sufficient. My, his love for me and you is not based on what you accomplish, how many check marks you put in the boxes. Verse 1, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many, of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul's tell, telling Timothy, you're a carrier of the gospel now. You're called to be a messenger of this great news about Jesus. This verse is referring to the biblical practice of making disciples. Paul was a believer who entrusted, who entered into a relationship with Timothy and helped Timothy teach him about Jesus. And then Timothy will tell others, and then those will tell others, and on and on it goes. This is the multiplication that happens when we make disciples through relationships, when people are not projects, when people are relationships. He's telling him, Timothy, I'm nearing the end of my life. And as a result, the good news that we've talked about, I want you to tell others. I'm here awaiting execution. This has to go elsewhere. This has to go worldwide. This is what Jesus told us in Matthew 28. And I want you to entrust this to men who will be faithful to teach others. This is why you and I are even sitting here today. Because someone taught someone else, and they in turn taught someone else, and generation after generation have learned the truth of Scripture. They've learned the good news about Jesus. They've heard about it. If you were I to look back uh, at, at our own life and see the biblical practice of making disciples, we would see this. We would see this evidence in our life. Maybe it was through a, a family member, a friend, or someone not only invited you to church or to Crosspoint. Uh, maybe that was the church. Maybe you're here because someone invited you, but then they also came alongside you in a relationship and told their own story about how Jesus was impacting or changing their own life. The task of the local church is not to preserve the truth as in a museum, like behind the glass you push the button and you hear about the truth. Pick up the phone from 1960 and like wipe it down. Like, okay, you don't do any of that. This is not about a museum. This is about us living out and teaching that truth to the generations to come. That's why Sun Chasers is more than just child care, and hype is more than just some spot for your kids to go to on a Wednesday night. But rather, as one of our values says, it's, it's about reaching and preparing the next generation. It's about investing into that, that next generation. This is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. So if you serve in sun chasers, if you serve in hype, you're making disciples. I don't care if it's behind the scenes or in front of the scenes. That's the mission that you're caught up in. Don't lose sight of that in the week-to-week kind of grind of serving. There's a myth in church that what happens in the front on Sunday mornings is the most important part of your week. Notice I said that's a myth. I mean, I know it's weird for the pastor to say that, but, but I believe that's a myth, that the most important part of your week is this moment. Now, don't get me wrong here. And don't take that like soundbite that and, hey, you said this, all right? Include this next part. I believe your attendance in this service is critical for your relationship with Jesus. 
your relationship with others. It's important to be in the body of Christ, to gather together. That's a biblical truth. In all honesty, we can kind of become apathetic in our commitment to Sunday mornings, can't we? Instead of seeing this as a vital component to our week, we just see it as one more thing. I mean, Monday through Saturday, we just had so much. Let's just take a day, right? And so I'm not saying that this moment, this event is not important to your week. But with all that said, I think the most important part of your week is all seven days. You and me walking out our faith in Jesus daily in our lives, moment by moment. Living it out in front of others, our families, our neighbors. Because frankly, Sunday mornings could be home runs every week. They're not, but they, 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 they could be. But if all we did is we went back to, to our lives and lived the exact same way, if nothing ever changed, if we didn't grow to be more like Jesus, then we've just missed the point. Here's something to consider. You're not just a follower of Jesus, but you're also someone who's being followed. Every one of us who are followers of Jesus here today, who would confess Him as Lord and Savior, your teachers. We teach with our lives, with our words, with our actions. So the question is, what is your life teaching? What's my life teaching? Is your life teaching things like forgiveness and unconditional love and patience and courage and joy and boldness and endurance? Or is it teaching one of bitterness and anger and fear, grimness, apathy, condemnation? I think on a regular basis, we need to take stock and assess our actions, our attitudes, our hearts, and just kind of hold them up to the light as if an x-ray and go, Lord, what do you think? What do you think about my own heart? Don't, don't hold up someone else's x-ray. Hold up your own. Lord, what do you think of my own heart? Reveal to me that spot in my heart that, that I'm resistant to give you or that I'm completely blind to and, and yet I know you're not. You know all, you see all, and yet you, yet you love me. So show me your grace. Extend your grace to me by revealing this thing in my life. Starting then in verse 3, Paul compares the Christian life using three different analogies, all of which speak to the, the fact that we can't walk through life apathetic. Apathy is not acceptable for my basketball team. It's not acceptable for the posture of a believer. <clears throat> verse 3, endure hardship with us like a good, good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving, no one serving as a soldier gets caught up in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Endure hardship. So, so he's not saying it's not going to come. He's saying it's, it's, it's going to come. You know this, Timothy. You know this, Crosspoint. Endure hardship. He also do, he doesn't say avoid it. Some of us like to avoid it at all costs. I'll be the first one to say, I'm not out looking for hardship. Like, yeah, you got some hardship underneath here? You got some? Come on, come on, bring it here. It, it, I don't do that. But what if through the hardship, God is trying to change and transform us? What if the hardship would lead us to more patience, more love, more kindness, more faithfulness? What if through the hardship, Jesus is trying to build our character to be more like His? What if through the hardship, it's forced us to lean on His grace more than we did before? He first uses this analogy of a soldier in an army. Roman soldiers at the time recognized the authority of their commanders. So Paul is reminding Timothy and us to be single-minded in our devotion to the interests and concerns of our King and Savior Jesus. He is our commanding officer. 
Spiritually, our life is a war. The enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy, and there's a spiritual war happening around us. Internally, in our own hearts, we have this enemy that, that, that is our sin nature, our flesh. We have this seed of rebellion in us that naturally is, is prone to lead our own lives, to disobey our Creator, place ourselves up as our own God. We have a fight on our hands. We must endure in this life like a soldier taking up the armor, walking into battle knowing that who we are putting our trust in. A soldier doesn't fight when they're inspired or when they emotionally feel like it. Some of you who have served in the military or currently do, you get this firsthand. Soldiers fight no matter what. When in combat, they sleep with their boots on. Their life is a life of discipline. And so we want to be strong, courageous, full of faith and the knowledge that Jesus has already claimed the victory over sin and death. We have the King of Kings as our commanding officer who has our best interests in mind, who loves us enough and demonstrated that by laying down his life for you and I so that we follow, we follow him as a result. We are devoted, we are loyal, we adore, love, esteem, worship such an amazing Savior. Soldier. Now let's look at athlete, verse 5. In a similar way, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. If you're going to play a sport, you must know the rules in order to play a game. Think of baseball for a minute. Some of you walk, just walked out of t-ball season, possibly. You've watched little kids play this. They hit the ball, and they go where? Many of them go to third, right, instead of first. And then they have 15 people yelling at them. Ah! They have coaches and parents and players and people from all, hey, people riding bikes by and shouting to them which way to go, all right? Now, we have a loving father who establishes rules for us to live by. And through our obedience, we find reward and blessing. And so we've got to let the noise of that crowd die down and listen to the one voice that matters, the one voice that's already spoken. He's already given us his word. Some athletes come into the game arguing about the rules. When that happens in basketball, you argue about the rules on my team. You Welcome to the bench. Nice to have you back. All right? But there's a difference between the official and the athlete. The official is the one who is ultimately has established the rules the game will be played by. And in this world, the Lord has established the rules of this game. If he says we're out of bounds, then we are. If he says we've committed a foul, then we have. If our lives are not in line with Scripture, then we need correction. Are we walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit and God's Word, or are we, are we more aligned with what we think or want to believe in our own hearts? Athletes don't just show up to the game or when the season begins. Great athletes work hard during the season. So are we disciplining ourselves like that of an athlete? Are we training ourselves in the Word? Are we doing the things the other six days of the week outside of just Sundays to grow in our faith? Are we training by ourselves or with fellow believers? Because the great athletes, they, they don't go it alone. They've got someone alongside them pushing, encouraging, praying, spurring them on. And that's going back and forth, going both ways. It sounds a lot like community, doesn't it? And then finally, Paul compares the Christian life to that of a farmer. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Farmers work hard. They get up early. They work long hours. No matter what, the farmer has to get it done. In our faith, we must work hard like that of a farmer. That means that we make the time to get into the Word and to do life in biblical community. And we do the hard things like surrendering and asking forgiveness and righting wrongs with other people, humbling ourselves, serving others. 
I love how Paul includes all three analogies here because if he'd stopped at the soldier, then we'd think, about de- then we'd think devotion is simply about submitting and getting in line. Or if he'd only talked about the athlete, then we'd think devotion is just about discipline. It's about being focused on the goal or the prize. I love the addition of the farmer here, though. Think of farmers. Yes, they work hard, but there's a tenderness about farming, a nurturing quality. And we must have that as believers in our devotion to Jesus, a tenderness to his work in our own hearts. Sowing seeds of the good news, not in abrasive soldier-like ways, but as farmers, planting seeds, watering the soil, trusting God to make it grow. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer. Christianity is about people who are strong, courageous, disciplined, work hard. They do this all to get to the end and earn the reward, to hit the finish line going full speed, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But they don't do it out of their own strength. The last thing I want you to do is to walk out of here thinking that you're just supposed to pull yourself up, buy your bootstraps, muster up your strength and courage, and go start tilling up the soil. And some of you might, might work through this analogy of soldier, athlete, farmer, and just kind of feel this crushing weight on you. Listen, that is self-effort. That's not what he's saying. He started this off by saying this is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is not about our self-effort. Instead, we are like the soldier, athlete, and farmer out of the grace of God and the Holy Spirit's power that enables us to be courageous and stand firm and to be disciplined and work hard. Because then, when we get to the end of this life, we aren't bragging about our big victory, our big battle that we won, our enormous crop. Instead, we're boasting and giving glory to the Lord who makes it possible. Verse 7, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Marinate on this. Let it soak in. How does this apply to you and me? What do we need to change? What do we need to start doing or stop doing? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? when it comes to a life of devotion rather than apathy. And then Paul then points to the source of our strength, endurance and devotion, where it comes from. And he refers to two things, the resurrection and the word of God. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. Here's the most important thing. Remember Jesus. Don't forget Jesus. He's alive. He's no longer hanging on the cross. He's risen, reigning, and ruling. The tomb is empty, but the throne is not. He's on his throne. This is good news for you and me as a believer in Christ. So if you're in Christ, you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and that spirit is giving you the power and the desire to do what pleases him, Philippians 2.13. And then Paul reminds us of the Bible. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Despite Paul's earthly chains, In his trials, God's word is not chained. Nothing can contain the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God exposes, but it also encourages. It doesn't just, yeah, there's where you fell short, but it also says, no, 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 there's grace for that. It encourages and reminds us of the great God who created us, loves us, saves us through Jesus, redeems and restores our lives and prepares a place for us to spend eternity with Him. A few weeks ago, like I said, uh, the Lord exposed the apathy that had crept back into my heart. 
I've been reminded of his great love the last few weeks. How much mercy and forgiveness and grace and strength he's extended to me. And that reminds me that at the end of the day, I am his. I am his. And I want to give him my absolute everything. And I can do that, and you can do that, not because of us, not because we're that awesome, but because of him and because he's that awesome. Because he enables and empowers us to live a life of devotion. He makes salvation and relationship with him possible because of the cross, because of the resurrection. And he reminds us of how great he is through the word. So where is their apathy in your heart? Where is their indifference to the love of God? I believe the Spirit of God is exposing this in you and I as we approach our 10-year. And our part is to confess that, to get that into the light, knowing that He's faithful and just to purify us from all unrighteousness. And then when it creeps back up this week, because this is not just about one message, right? Because when it creeps back up this week, no, no, we just keep turning from it. And we keep pursuing Jesus, whose grace is sufficient. Because of his great love for us that he displayed first, we love him. We're compelled to love him. And he will, and he will give you and me the grace that is enough to walk in devotion. Imagine, cross one, as we love Jesus with everything we have, the impact that will have on your household, the impact that will have on your family tree, the impact that will have on your school, on your community, your neighborhood, your workplace, this church, this world. Lives will be changed and God will be glorified. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that it's sufficient. I trust your Holy Spirit to give us abundant discernment and wisdom. I thank you that the word of God, it not only exposes us, but it also encourages us. It reminds us that at the end of the day, it's all about the gospel. It's all about your good news. I thank you that because of the resurrection, we can walk in power as followers of you. I thank you that because of the word of God, we're just constantly reminded of who you are and who we are in our identity in Christ. Spur us on in our love for you. Help us to be like the athlete and the farmer and the soldier. Expose the apathy and reveal to us what it means to be devoted to you fully. Lord, change us before we worry about changing anyone else. And through our changed hearts, I pray that that would be a testimony to the world around us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.